The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, in an ideal world, I'd love to take a correction, get them back down in range, and then eat. But unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. So the next best thing for me is essentially just to add on the correction dose to what I require for that meal. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Delighted to have you on. Delighted you have joined us for another week. And these are always one of my favorite type of episodes where we get emails from you in about your stories, your experiences, your insights, and your questions that you may have for myself and Graham. So, Graham, what's up? I'm doing well. I have, I do have something for you. I have uh, an update for you in regards to the showering situation. Well, refresh the listeners' memories as do you know what about, about the the relevance. well done because I would have given I give out to you and you don't refresh the memories and you're very good at it. You got very good and now you're reminding me the 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 student has become the master. Ah. So a few weeks ago. Owen challenged me to have cold showers because he believes it is the best thing that you can do when you wake up, you start your day with a cold shower. Um, and when I went off the podcast, I immediately forgot about the cold shower. Conveniently. And, <laughs> and then you put up Instagram questions the following week for us to do an episode. And someone asked, has Graham had his cold showers yet? <laughs> um, to which I replied, no, I forgot. But then I said, you know, what? I'm going to actually give it a go. So I had two cold showers. And I quite enjoyed them, but I think that was only because I was in London in 35 degrees heat. I was in a heat wave. <laughs> but I did something else for you, Owen. I did something else, and I knew you'd be happy with this because I said, you know what? Cold showers for me, I just don't think that's my thing. I gave them a go, and I'd be like, you know, I do love my warm showers. I get you love cold showers, and I do understand the benefits of a cold shower. But what I did do over the last two weeks is... I started again, and I haven't told anybody this because I didn't want to tell anybody until I got into a proper routine of it because I did it before. I said, oh, I started this, and I put too much pressure on myself, and then I dropped out. I, I hate talking about things and then not following through. But I started meditation again. Mm. 
So for the last two weeks, since our last episode together, I've been doing meditation every morning. Now, I will say I did miss two mornings and I'm really annoyed because I missed, it messed up my, because um, they tell you how many days consecutively you've done. And I was yeah. on a really good run. And then I went to London for the weekend and didn't get a chance to do it because away with five other lads. But I started to do meditation again. Now, I've downloaded a free app. It's called Insight Timer because I want to eventually move on to Headspace. But I want to make sure that I'm actually going to stick with this stick with it this time so i said i'm going to do a month full and if i really want to stick with it then i'm going to buy a year subscription to headspace so i've got a seat over there in the corner and because i'm not getting up in the morning at five o'clock anymore to go to work i'll be starting work a little bit later from now on i have that time in the morning where i'm not rushing around it's before i have my breakfast the first thing i do when i wake up i go to my corner seat and i do it so i think i said i wasn't going to do the showers but i said i'm going to try the meditation you're proud of me extremely proud Yes. And how, how have you found it? Very good. Very good. I'm finding, it, I'm finding it difficult to stop my thoughts from going, which I think is kind of a natural thing at the beginning. But I'm getting better at breathing and staying still. At the first few sessions I was doing, I couldn't get comfortable because it's a very kind of, for me, not doing it for so long. Mm. And I haven't done it consistently when I did do it. Trying to stay still and in the moment was difficult at the beginning. But after about day six or seven, I kind of, it kind of clicked focusing on the breathing. And then I just started focusing on the breathing. And then it's starting to get easier and easier. And I'm trying to stop my mind from wandering as much as it does. And it definitely, starting now week two, is a lot better than it was when I first started. And then uh, initially when I first started doing it as well, I'd finish it, get up, turn on the radio, and then start going around my day. Hmm. Well, now I'm trying to just sit there for an extra minute or two and it's going to take in the surroundings, not kind of jump up immediately, check your phone, just kind of relax into the day more so. So it's kind of, it's changing a lot of habits for me because unlike you, I would check my phone when I wake up. I find Hmm. a class where you were saying a few weeks ago where you check your phone for your Dexcom, but you cover the notifications because you want to (laughs) kind of start your day without Hmm. being bombarded with WhatsApps and emails and Instagram DMs and all that. Hmm. Um, So definitely seeing a little bit of a change for the better. So hopefully if I stick with it now for uh, another two weeks, I'll get headspace and uh, I'll be a proper monk. Sounds like it, Graham. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm proud of you. And look, I suppose for me, like I'm, I'm not somebody who has massive amounts of experience meditating, but what I like so much about it is the fact that I rarely, rarely actually... I'm completely still. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. Because like there's emails and phone calls and messages and whatever else you're doing throughout the day and throughout the week. And when you actually look at it, you're rarely just completely by yourself in respect to no phone, nobody else around you. And that's what I love about it. It's just like you're completely just by yourself still for that amount of time and actually if you haven't yet graham and anyone listening a great book on stillness is called stillness is the key by ryan holiday which is a really really easy read but a very uh insightful book in terms of just kind of taking a pause and being patient even in times where your instinctive reaction probably isn't to be patient which can be Hugely beneficial. Mm. 
Right, well, there we go. I thought I'd uh, hold that off now and impress you two it weeks. It looks like this podcast turned into like a medit- meditation yeah. podcast. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe this is someone's meditation. They kind of walk and uh, just listen to Owen Costello in their ears for 25, 30 minutes every week. And hopefully that is it. And that if you have sent more us... like chaos rather than stillness. <laughs> And if you send us in an email to the podcast at gmail.com, we will do our very best to get to it. We're going to go through two emails today. First one is a long one from New Zealand. Uh, will we kick it off, Owen? Yes, sir. Okay, let's go. This one is from Haley, and she says, type one in New Zealand. And she says, hey there, I was recently diagnosed with type one last October. I don't even know if this is the right place to email you, but oh well. I love listening to you and your mate on the podcast. I travel 50 minutes each way to work, so I have ample time to listen to your stories and the banter. I really like how Owen speaks naturally, dropping the odd F-bomb, very subtle, and the (laughs) SH1T. Love it. It makes me laugh. I first heard you on Jen Greaves' podcast. I love her podcast. She is such a great voice to listen to. Through you both, I've learned so much more than I have learned from my diabetes team, GP, specialist, and diabetes nurse educator. I enjoyed that you don't assume your listeners understand what you're always talking about and you go over information you've previously touched on. I guess my question or questions to you are, what experience have you had with intermittent fasting? Do you know of other type 1s who practice this? I have for a long time not eaten until 12 or 1pm, then nothing after 8pm. It works for me with my personal and professional lifestyle, but after diagnosis, I was nervous to return to this. I had to listen to the medical advice, three meals a day, this many carbs, etc., etc. I've now returned to eating this way and my exercise routine is walking, running, first thing in the mornings. I run on an empty stomach and no insulin. I always carry my phone and hypo treatments with me, checking blood glucose levels before, at times, during and then after again. Do you know of anyone else who's type 1 who exercises on a fasting body system? Also, Prior to diagnosis, I ate a plant-based and gluten-free diet and people, mainly my family and my mum, say it was probably because of this I became diabetic. I know this is not the reason and if anything, it has really become clear to me through listening to your podcast where you unashamedly repeat, there is nothing you do to get it, it is just bad luck. It's an autoimmune disease. And sometimes I think I should know this as I am a nurse and a social worker slash counsellor and you think I would be smart enough to be clued into this. But typically when it comes to your own self, I can be a bit dumb. But hey, not now. I've researched, listened and learned. I now feel sorry for any diabetics I cared for as a nurse because I basically had no clue what was going on. Anyway, I'm just looking for some inside information about a fasted lifestyle. I now have included eggs and seafood into my diet. I eat low carb, but I'm not carb counting yet. I look at my food in terms of nutrition and insulin units. Basically two really good meals a day with between four and six units of insulin with each meal. I love anything to do with food, nutrition, physical and mental well-being. Finally, the social worker in me listens to your stories and I get so mad and sad hearing about the people who can't afford CGMs, insulin and all the diabetes paraphernalia. I think of the homeless. How on earth do they manage diabetes? It's the social justice side of this lifelong condition that interests me. Your stories of the American system, the guy who died of DKA, so bloody wrong in this day and age. Oh, and I love the MMA story. What a hard out young fella. (laughs) I'm going to stop because I could talk for ages. Like I said, I'm so sorry if I emailed you in the wrong place. This is probably for your fitness clients. Oops. Have a great day (laughs) and best wishes from New Zealand. 
and that is from Haley. Wow, Haley really went for it there. Yeah, Fair play whoa. to Haley. I was thinking, is that email ever going to end? And I <laughs> didn't really want it to, to be honest. So much yep. in that email. And I'm thinking, my brain's racing here. <laughs> Where do I even start with trying to answer or or uh, even consider most of those things Haley said? But firstly, Haley, thank you so much for getting in touch. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to write that email. And as always, we greatly appreciate your ears in terms of actually using them to listen to the podcast consistently. And I am delighted that you've been able to benefit from it so far. The first thing, well, one of the things that jumps out at me the most was how Haley said she almost felt sorry for people that she was caring for who had diabetes prior to when she had it. And that reminds me of a question that I asked Justine in last week's episode around the fact that she had been caring for her daughter and her diabetes for years before she was diagnosed herself. And what I always say is unless you, and I can guarantee you every other type one diabetic can agree with this, unless you actually live with type one diabetes, you don't understand the complexity and the extent of it. That's just a fact. And I always believe that the people closest to that who aren't diabetic, the people that have the most intimate relationship or interaction with managing diabetes who don't have it themselves are the parents of children who have to manage their diabetes, essentially. And that was a question that I wanted to ask Justine was, had your opinion of type 1 diabetes or your outlook on type 1 diabetes changed when you were diagnosed compared to even when you were so consistently managing it with your daughter and she straight away said 100 percent yeah that kind of stuck with me because it was like oh my god you're so invested as a parent of a child with type 1 diabetes that you know you're so consciously and constantly aware of everything that's going on. But even despite that, Justine, without question, went 100%, completely different when you have it. And I just thought that was amazing because it, it perfectly highlighted how personal of a condition it actually is. Because it's just, even right now, I'm thinking... Where are my blood sugars? <laughs> you know? Um, and it's just that constant. And your relationship with it can even be different after helping your young daughter for years manage it. Slightly yeah. went off on one there. But I just wanted to point that out because I found it fascinating. Back to Haley's email. So in terms of the intermittent fasting, and I think that was the first question that Haley asked, just for, one, for anyone who doesn't know what intermittent fasting is, what is it? So intermittent fasting essentially is eating your food for the day within a specific time window. So it could be eight hours, six hours, a six or eight hour period, whatever it might be. And then you're fasting for the remainder of that 24 hour period. My experience with it, to be honest, I never... <clears throat> sorry, my throat's a bit at me. I um, had never really considered my own approach to my food 
as intermittent fasting but when i actually kind of zoomed out and looked at it it kind of is because generally what i do and now the way that i let's say position my meals throughout the day had stemmed from the fact that i want to benefit my blood sugar and obviously over various amount of years i've found an approach or even a a sort of schedule that benefits how I want to live, first of all, and my diabetes, secondly. So I never had thought of it as intermittent fasting, but it basically is. So generally, I will have my first meal at about 12 or 1, and then my last meal at 8 or 9 p.m. That essentially means then that I'm pretty much fasting for the remainder 16 17 hours whatever of the day so the reasons why i have kind of positioned my meals that way basically because i'm not even particularly hungry in the morning so i don't feel the need to eat early in the morning so i have my first big meal about 12 p.m or 1 p.m as i said and i know that my insulin resistance is much higher in the morning So if I have the same meal in the morning compared to in the evening, I know for me that's going to have a significantly different impact on my blood sugar because it's the morning, because my natural insulin resistance is higher earlier. So holding off on my breakfast is a no-brainer for me because I'm not particularly hungry. I get a solid amount of work done in the morning. And it helps my blood. And then the flip side of that, the other end of of the night, is I absolutely prioritize my overnight blood sugars anytime I can. A night out may be slightly different, but when I'm at home or not doing anything out of the ordinary, I will have a cutoff point for my food. And the reason that I have that cutoff point from where I have my last meal to when I go to bed is to ultimately benefit my overnight bloods. So if I have a two, three, four hour period of no food before I go to bed, then I know I'm not taking a massive amount of insulin close to bed, which takes out the risk of going too low while I sleep. And also I'm not having a big meal close to bed, which can increase the likelihood of my blood sugar spiking throughout the night. So Again, I've never actually considered that intermittent fasting, but it pretty much is. And Owen, in terms of training then, uh, Haley asked, do you know of any other type ones who exercise on a fasting body system? Um, I know you train in the morning and you used to do a lot of running in the morning as well. Still do probably. Um, You do. Yeah, so like when when it comes to training and and exercising and having the energy to perform in a way that you may want to perform again for me specifically with type one it comes down to like where you feel most comfortable and confident exercising where you feel you have the most energy to do a specific run walk workout whatever it is and i had like i've spent probably like a two-year period where i only trained fasted because how my schedule was set led me to get up first thing in the morning 
go to the gym or go for a run, whatever it was. Now, personally, I never had an issue with energy levels training first thing. So I never had difficulty performing how I wanted to perform with weights or a run, even though I hadn't eaten anything. Now, there are other people, and I even have a couple of clients who they're like, the thought of even exercising fasted makes me tired. So a lot of it can be personal preference and comes down to, do you feel you have enough energy to do it? And on top of that, are your blood sugars in a safe range to do the exercise that you want to do? So for me, when I was exercising or going to the gym first thing, it took out a lot of the complications of blood sugar management around the exercise because I would get up first thing. I knew that because I prioritized my blood sugars the night before, essentially, I slept through the night stable. I typically wake up in range. I had been fasted because I was asleep. Therefore, I didn't have any insulin on board, which is fast acting insulin that may still be active in your system. So because I was asleep for six, seven, eight hours, I had no fast acting insulin active in my system. So I knew that anytime I trained, there wasn't a massive amount of insulin in my system that was going to cause a big drop. Or I hadn't just eaten a big meal that was going to cause a big spike. And I basically knew what to predict with my blood sugar in terms of how they would respond to a heavyweight session or a run. So for me, exercising fasted, again, came down to personal preference. I had and do have energy to do it. And ultimately, it takes out a lot of the potential frustration around trying to manage insulin, insulin on board, timing of insulin, the food that you may have eaten prior to exercising. So if your blood sugar are in a safe range to do so, I wouldn't see an issue with it. Haley, I hope Owen answered some of your questions in that one. And let's move on. We are going to go where till I scroll down here. We're going from New Zealand to Glasgow, a little bit closer to home to us, Owen. (laughs) This one is from Ashley McCann, and she just says thanks in the subject line. And Ashley starts off just a wee note to say huge thanks for the work you do on the podcast. My type 1 diabetes was triggered by a bad bout of COVID last year at the age of 31. And I honestly think I'd be struggling to get to grips with it if I hadn't been for your podcast. The week I got home, I listened to about 25 episodes back to back when I was still in shock and still managed to absorb the goods. The main one being fiber is king. My HbA1c (laughs) was 119 when I was diagnosed in October 2021. And self-learning with the help of you and Graham has enabled me to get it down to 46. I'd love to talk to you about how to leverage a pre-bolus when pre-prandial. Now, I didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up. And that means take, (laughs) (laughs) what's that word mean? Uh, Taken before food, bloods are high. How you manage correction doses on MDI. Hmm. And a random question, what levels are optimal for spin classes? I always drop when I'm in a 45-minute spin class, but I find I hit the wall if I go in and around 8 millimoles per litre. I also can't get my head around making sure I've got enough carbs for performance while not exercising with insulin on board. Like you, my bloods drop like a stone when I have any insulin on board when running or doing cardio. Thanks a million for everything you're doing. That is from Ashley in Glasgow. What an unbelievable email. What a nice email to read. 
Yeah, it's nice. How does that feel for you, Graham? Reading an email like that? Well, it feels great for me, but you're the one who gives all the information on. I just, I just sit here and facilitate it. You're the one who gives yeah. all that email to to help Ashley come out. Think about she is in shock, and she has twenty five episodes back to back to back to back to back with all your information. So, well done. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well done. Dude. No, no, honestly, like that email is amazing, and it's very reassuring to know that. There are people out there benefiting from the podcast and it is serving its purpose. So I appreciate the honesty and insight, Ashley. And again, with the COVID issue, that's probably 20, 25 people now I've heard that yep. had COVID and then boom, type 1 diabetes. It's creeping up, isn't it? Even mm-hmm. I'm sure you're obviously aware, well more aware of it, uh, being in the community and chatting to people on a daily basis. But even me from dipping in and out of these emails and listening to the guests that you have on, it's so mm. common. Really, really Can't common. Can't just be a coincidence. No, it's definitely not. But again, we are not doctors, so... Nope. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, so first question, on uh, How to leverage a pre-bolus when pre-prandial bloods are high? I'll go from my experience, as always, right? So, I personally won't eat if my blood sugar is high. But that's me personally. And I know that if my blood sugar is high and I eat on top of those high blood sugars, more often than not, my blood is just going to continue to climb. Because once my bloods are up there, they're stubborn, and they want to stay up there, my insulin needs to work a lot harder to get it back down. Now, in an ideal world, I'd love to take a correction, get them back down in range, and then eat. But unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. So the next best thing for me is essentially just to add on the correction dose to what I require for that meal. So for example, if my blood sugar is at 12 millimoles, I know that typically I will require one unit of insulin to bring me down about three millimoles. So if I'm at 12, a correction dose that I would take is two units to hopefully bring me down to about six. Now, If I'm at 12 and I'm eating a meal that's 60 grams of carbohydrate, for that 60 grams, let's say I require three units. So I'm taking three units for the meal and my blood sugar is already high. So the correction dose, as I said, is two units. So potentially I will take five units for that meal because my blood sugar is already high. But also on top of that, what I will do is because my blood sugar is already high, and like I said, my insulin essentially (laughs) needs to work that bit harder to get it back down in range. If I have the time, I will give a longer pre-bolus. So instead of my typical 15-minute pre-bolus, it could be 20 minutes or it could be 25 minutes. The purpose of that is to try and let my insulin bring my bloods down slightly more before I get the food into me. So that's how I would approach that. But again, where possible, I just try not to eat if I'm high. But we also don't always have the luxury of waiting for our bloods to come back down in range before we can eat. So that's the reality of it. That's a very, very brief overview of how I would approach high blood sugars prior to a meal. Now, if my bloods 
were on the lower end, it would be very different. Now, I don't mean low as in actually in a hypo state. I just mean the lower end of being in range. I will still pre-bolus, but like I said, if my typical pre-bolus is 15 minutes, if I'm lower, that pre-bolus time could be reduced to, say, 10 minutes. Okay, next one. How do you manage correction doses on MDI? Good question. For anybody who may not know what MDI is, it's multiple daily injections, which basically is whether or not you use insulin pens, which I do. So with a correction dose, similar enough to an insulin to carb ratio, it can be dependent on you. And from my experience, it can also be dependent on the time of day. So like I said earlier in this episode, how my insulin resistance is much higher in the morning compared to the evening. That means I'm requiring a lot more insulin because my resistance is higher. Now, historically, a correction dose for me, so one unit of insulin as a correction dose, if my blood sugar is high, should bring me down about three millimoles, which is, uh, what, 54 mgdl for anybody who measures in that way. So if I'm high in the evening, I would expect one unit of insulin to bring me down about three millimoles. Typically in the morning, that same one unit of insulin will bring me down about two millimoles, which is, what, about 36 mg. So because I know that my insulin resistance slash sensitivity varies throughout different times of the day or earlier in the day compared to the evening, my correction dose will have a different impact on my blood sugar. So it's important to be aware of, does a correction dose have a different impact on a different time of day? And much like an insulin to carb ratio, so much of you trying to understand what your correction dose numbers are will come down to trial and error. Like if you're at 15 and you take two units, where do your blood sugars go? Or if you're at 10 and you take one unit, where do your blood sugars go? And again, this goes back to the idea of what I've said probably too many times in this podcast is living consciously. When you're paying attention to these sorts of things that you do, That's how you gather the information so that it can benefit you moving forward. So instead of you being high and just taking a random amount of insulin and not looking at your blood sugar again, not saying Ashley does that, but if you are high and you say, okay, this is where I'm at, this is the amount of insulin that I'm taking. And then two, three, four hours later, what are my blood sugars? Use that information so that you have that information to reference from the next time your blood sugar is high. I think that answers the question. Yep. And final question, what levels are optimal for spin classes? Now, just she gave us some information. I'll refresh. I always drop when I'm in a 45-minute spin class, but I find I hit a wall if I go in around 8 millimoles per liter. Um, I can't get my head around making sure I've got enough carbs for performance while not exercising with insulin on board. Mm. Like you, my bloods drop like a stone when I've insulin on board when running or doing cardio. 
Okay, not a very satisfactory answer, but again, this can be completely dependent on you and your diabetes. So first of all, you need to identify what type of exercise is a spinning class. And generally that would be considered high intensity. And generally high intensity will lead your blood sugar to go high. I know for me, again, my experience, that will cause my blood sugar to go higher rather than lower. If it's like really high intensity spinning. Whereas if I'm out for a casual cycle, I would expect my blood sugar to go low. So being able to preempt where you think your blood sugar is going to go is the first thing you need to be able to do. That can be a tricky one because a lot of it then can also come down to the duration of the exercise. And I think Ashley said after a certain amount of time, she seems to drop. So if you are exercising for 30 minutes compared to 60 minutes, that can be completely different because you may be able to get through the 30 minutes without your blood sugars doing much. Whereas within the 30 minute to 60 minute window, your blood sugars may drop. So being able to identify when you see a potential drop can be used as information to say, okay, do I need to give myself a bit of a top up with glucose in and around this time to prevent that potential drop? But for me, with any sort of extended cardio, like a walk or a run, I know that if I have even half unit of insulin in my system active, I'm pretty confidently going to drop. So I will always load up on carbohydrate without insulin if I know I'm going for, say, like an hour walk or an hour run. And again, the purpose of that is to hopefully bring my blood sugar up higher and then have the exercise itself bring me back down naturally. But I even time that specifically when I eat the food and when I'm doing my exercise so that at the same time, the food basically brings my blood sugar up and the exercise brings my blood sugar down. So they're kind of pulling at each other at the same time to hopefully keep me in range as long as possible. It's a lot of organization goes into just going to the gym, doesn't it? Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) I just rock up. Hey, Owen. (laughs) I've been eating what I want all day. (laughs) No bother. And you're like, (laughs) and look, it, it does take a lot of preparation but what i always say is you want to be at a place where you're so confident of your overall understanding your knowledge of diabetes in general but how it is specifically with you and you're so confident around that those sort of decisions that you can make that it's automatic like when i'm putting all of these thought processes and considerations into words on a podcast. It's like, whoa, yeah, there actually is a lot that goes into that. Yeah. A lot like there, there are plenty of things that you need to consider and all these different variables that can potentially influence your bloods. But because I am so confident of my own management, because I've just consumed hundreds and thousands of hours of information, whatever it might be, and 
constantly analyzing my own bloods over 10 plus years. Like these things that I'm talking about, it's just boom, 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 automatic. Like these are decisions that I almost don't even realize I'm making. And I don't mean that in a way like, oh, I'm a fantastic diabetic and everybody should be like me. I just mean it in the way that I suppose I'm just trying to highlight the importance of paying attention to the details that matter. Because when you're confident of these details and you're you're really understanding these details and then ultimately holding yourself accountable to various decisions that you can make, your management can be automatic. But I also make it very clear that even though my management is very automatic, of course, I still have highs and lows. So that's important to remember. I think Ashley is going to be okay. Just being diagnosed for a year, consuming 25 episodes in a row and asking very <laughs> intelligent questions as well. I think yeah. she's going to be okay at managing her uh, diabetes. Owen, thank you very much for all that information. Thank you. Oh, um, no, Owen, Ashley and Haley, um, for getting in contact. And as always, Owen, we want your emails. Where can people send them to? Yes, we really want them. You can send them to theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. If you have a story, if you have a question, if you have an experience, we want to hear it. Don't be listening to this podcast right now thinking, oh, that sounds similar to what I experienced or, or that's not what I experienced or you have a question. Don't talk yourself out of emailing into the podcast. We absolutely want to hear your stories and your questions. We love the emails coming in. And uh, as always, yeah, have a good day. Have a good week. Look after those blood sugars. And uh, take care. We'll chat to you soon. <laughs>